everything that moves. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown. Welcome into the Week 13 edition of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and I'll tell you what, we've got a great show for you this week. As always, we will hear from NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell and talk about the Eagles' huge win over the Tennessee Titans, but obviously the big topic of discussion, Eagles-Cowboys Thanksgiving Day football. NFC East is on the line. What could be better than this? So we'll talk to Greg about that big matchup down in Dallas later on in the show. We'll also talk to our good buddy Tony Pauline about the latest goings-on in college football, some of the hot names around the NFL draft. Some juniors have started to make their intentions known. Others are hinting at it. So we've got some uh, a lot of stuff that we're going to get to in today's show. But first, again, I just wanted to say keep the feedback coming in. Keep spreading the word about the podcast, whether you've been listening on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, downloading it on iTunes or Stitcher or any of these podcast apps you can get on your tablet or your phone. You guys have been awesome. Continue to spread the word. Give us feedback. Let us know how to make the show better because Mr. Greg Cosell, we're always looking to improve the show, aren't we, Greg? Yes, we are, Fran. We'll see what we can do tonight. You know, we got a big game uh, Thursday night. No, no question about it. Let's just jump before we get to the big on the big game on Thursday. Let's just jump right into the film from the Titans game on the offensive side. Obviously, there were some throws that I think Mark Sanchez would have liked to have back that second interception in particular. But overall, what did you think of his performance against Tennessee? I thought it was solid. Uh, you know, and I think that's what Mark Sanchez is. I think we're seeing what he is. There's always a few throws with that. You'd always say he'd like to have back. Uh, I think when he moves at times, he gets himself off balance. And even though he has very good feet as far as the boot action pass game and can get out on the perimeter, his feet are much better that way than they are moving within the pocket when he at times gets himself off balance and his footwork isn't very good and and loses accuracy because of it. Uh, I think that now that we've seen a number of weeks, we can probably say that the offense – Chip Kelly's offense, which is obviously really well designed, helps him because there are more defined throws uh, because I think he's the kind of quarterback that needs more visual reinforcement and recognition before he pulls the trigger, and I think this offense does help him in that regard. Uh, but I would say that uh, he's probably maybe played a little bit better overall than one might have expected, and I think the offense does provide that opportunity for him. Well, the run game got going, Greg, and we talked about it last week, that the Titans have had their issues defending the run. They gave up 200-plus to Le'Veon Bell the week before. But I thought the Eagles' offensive line looked better, too. I think they're starting to maybe get that sense of timing back, particularly on the left side with Jason Peters, Evan Mathis, Jason Kelsey. They had a lot of big runs to that side. Yeah, although I will say this, Fran, I think that, and this is what McCoy ultimately is when he's at his best, because he had a lot of big runs last year. And big runs are what give back 1,600 yards and 150 and 180 yards. You don't get 150 yards by carry, you know getting three, four yards every carry. You need big runs. So they, he had a couple of big runs, but I think if you really watch it you know, carefully, and I know you did and I did, I, I think the run game was better, but still not there. I think there were not enough sustaining runs, and I think there need to be more. I think there's still room for improvement, let's put it that way. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty clear they're still working on that sense of timing. We talked about yep. it last week, just how important that is to a zone run game. Yeah, no question. And and uh, he had one, I think he had a 60-yarder, didn't he? Something like that. I forget the exact numbers. I've been watching so much tape, but uh, uh, 
I, you know, I think he had a couple of long ones, and those count, and that's what makes the numbers high. But I think overall there needs to be still a more of a sustaining element. I mean, think back to last year. Um, it always seemed when they ran the ball that McCoy got six or seven yards, didn't it? I mean, I know that that's an exaggeration, but you just just watching it, didn't it always seem he got six or seven yards on every run? Right, yeah, exactly. I know what you mean. So, Greg, one of the th- you and I talked earlier in the week, and one of the first things I mentioned to you was that I thought that the Eagles chose to attack the Titans with a very simple game plan. Right. You know, they, they looked like they re- repeated a lot of plays on the ground sure. and then through the air. Uh, neither of us are in the room, so we don't know the, you know the exact reasoning behind it. But I would think it had as much to do with the short week this week as it did with the opponent, right? Uh, could have, and and I think you know I, I think too they probably felt with Tennessee playing a number of backups. I think they felt they could out execute Tennessee, and with the speed of their offense, that they could do that as well. So you know I think it made sense because now this is a game, and you know how coaches work, Fran. They're not they didn't just start the Dallas game on Sunday night. Right. The Dallas game they've been game planning for that for two weeks, uh, and. I think you'll see a, a much wider arsenal of, of plays and concepts when they play the Cowboys. Although I will say this about the Cowboys' D, and we've talked about this before. Number one, it's not a great defense in terms of personnel. That's first and foremost. They play very hard, and they play with excellent discipline and understanding of responsibilities. But personnel-wise, it's not a great D. Secondly, there's not a lot of mysteries to this defense. They play a lot of zone. It's predominantly cover two, cover three. They play man depending on the situation. Everybody does. You know, if it's third and three, everybody plays man. Um, but this is not a defense that, that is that hard to understand and break down tactically. So now it comes down to can you protect and can you execute? And, and can Mark Sanchez make accurate throws? Yeah, no question about it. I think that's going to be one of the interesting things uh, going into the season, going into this week. It's going to be a big execution week for this offense. Yep. Uh, you know, really throwing the ball as well as you know, on the ground game. We talked about the ground game and just trying to get that going. Uh, execution and reps, you would think, will be a big part of Thursday's game. Yeah, I, I think that you know, obviously, uh, it's a short week for both teams. As we said, both teams will have started preparing for this game well before Sunday. But the the um, excuse me, the Cowboys played. Sunday night, and then they had to fly home. So even for them, it's even a little tougher. But obviously, they're home because the Eagles are flying on Wednesday. So uh, you know, it works the same for both teams. But I, I, you know, the other interesting thing, in some ways, in some ways, both teams offensively are similar in in this sense. Neither team relies on a a, a, um, you know sort of a game plan or, or or you know that's a that's phone book size. You know, the Cowboys run their runs every week. Outside zone is one of their big staples. They do the counter with the trap element. That's a staple. You know, they don't have 20 different runs. They line up, they run it, um, and the pass game works off of that. Uh, Last week they got Cole Beasley involved a little more. He's sort of been in and out this year. But for the most part, like the Eagles, who don't have a large volume in terms of number of plays in their playbook, I think the Cowboys are similar in that regard. Well, Greg, that defensive line of the Eagles with Benny Logan and Fletcher Cox, Sed Thornton, they're going to get tested big time this week. This Cowboys offensive line, you know, particularly Tyron Smith, Travis Frederick, Zach Martin, it's a really talented group, and I think those three guys in particular, 
I got to say they're probably among the best that I've watched when I've watched other teams uh, the, you know, throughout this entirety of the fall. How do you see this matchup playing out on Thursday? Obviously, you know, there's a lot of different factors that go into it, but when you get into the trenches with this offensive line of Dallas, this defensive line of the Eagles, how do you see this matchup playing out? Well, let me say this. I think that will depend in many ways on the Eagles' offense. Because one thing about the Cowboys, we saw this against the Giants the other night, but it was not the first time this season, is they stay with the run game. They're committed to it. So even though they were down to the Giants, they were never down to the point where the game got out of hand and they felt like they had to abandon the run. So if this game is like that, they will stay with the run game and they wear you out. Because Murray is really more... He's at more of a downhill power runner than an elusive, shifty runner fan. He's not. He doesn't really create his own space in confined areas, but he's got some natural power, and he keeps hitting it up inside. You know, he's not. Uh, when I look at a runner like that, I don't look at Murray and say he's a great natural runner. But he's playing on a team with a committed run game, a strong run blocking O line, and he's got some physicality to him, so it wears you out. Right now, if the Eagles are, you know, have 31 points and it's 31-17 late in the third quarter that run game will start to go away. So I think the way I'd answer that question is the Eagles' offense, to me, becomes just as critical in some ways in this game in defending the Cowboys' run game as the, as the Eagles' defense. You know, it's a good point because we've talked about it in the past, the past few weeks ago. I remember after the, the Cowboys' big win over Seattle, you said Seattle's offense ran 40 offensive plays. I mean, it, and it kind of works twofold. I mean, you could kind of sure. turn that around onto Dallas and say, look, if you can control the ball and kind of take that away from them, take the run game away, you can play that against them. Exactly. And, and the key is, you know, and, and this is not a profound statement, but the key is, is scoring touchdowns. Obviously, that's true in any game, but it's particularly true when you're playing a team that controls the pace of the game with their run game. Because if you can, and the Eagles are not worried about time of possession, they're worried about scoring touchdowns. If they can do that, it, it changes the, you say what you want. If you're losing 14 nothing. Uh, in, late in the first quarter, it's easy to say just as an abstract philosophical statement, oh, there's a ton of time left. But you know what? If you're a running team that essentially eats clock and runs the ball, all of a sudden you're down 14 nothing. The dynamic of the game changes. Yeah, no question about it. And I asked you about that matchup with the O-line and the D-line. When you go into games like this historically, when you see a big-time O-line go up against a big-time D-line, and again, this is just a very – I know this is a very general question – but what is it? Who usually comes out on top in those scenarios? Would you rather have the big time O line or the you know the the big maulers on the defensive line? Well, I think the O line comes out on top if they're able to do that for four quarters. Right. Because that's then it becomes attrition, and then it becomes hard to play defensively if you continually have to line up and and have the offensive line come off the ball and and they deliver the blows. If you know, I think that if it's that element doesn't play out that way and the game is different, I think the advantage will go to the Eagles. Uh, the big question to me in this game will be whether the Eagles will blitz a lot. Right. That's a good that's a good and, and I, I'm not just talking against pass. Right. Because obviously they didn't have to blitz very much this past week and they didn't, as you know as you know watching the tape, they had very few blitzes. But um that's not been their MO this season. So the question is when they look at this Cowboy run game, and, and 
Bill Davis will have a great feel for it based on, on personnel formations. They, they obviously study in greater detail than we do, and we, we still look at it pretty closely. But he'll have a feel for, uh, you know, what they do. And, and, they, and they use a lot of personnel packages in the run game. They line up, you know, 21, 12, three tight ends. You know, they'll run out of, um, out of three wide receivers. So it, it's, the runs themselves, are, they don't have 20 different runs, but they, they have a lot of window dressing, a lot of different looks with the same runs. I was glad you brought that up because I actually wanted to bring that up as well, was the amount of personnel packages that Dallas will employ. Uh, you know, obviously you, you touched on all the different tight ends. Obviously Witten's there still, but you've got Gavin Escobar as a former second-round pick. James Hanna was a former receiver at Oklahoma. He's gotten better, and he's listed as a starter on that depth chart because he's excelled as a blocker. And really they'll, they'll come out in, in these 13 personnel or 22 personnel packages, and they'll come in and it'll be a heavy set, and they'll run play action. Hanna had a big catch against the Giants earlier this year uh, off a vertical route, off a of play action. I know Gavin Escobar had a catch on play action out of a 13 personnel yep. look against Seattle. I mean, yep. they do a good job of playing with defenses that way. Yeah, and, and I mean, what's your sense? If they come out in 13 personnel with three tight ends, how do you think the Eagles will, will play it personnel-wise? Will they just stay in their normal base? Or do you think they'll take a corner off the field and get a bigger body in there, even if it's, you know, another safety? or And again, they've been they're they're down safeties, you know, unless they they put another one uh, active this week. But how do you think the Eagles will play that? That's a good question. I mean, I, I would think that they would stay in base. Just you know what this defense has done historically, I would think that they would stay in base. Uh, it, but it'll be interesting. Look with the injuries at linebacker as well. I'll be interested to see how much dime the Eagles play this week uh, with yep. with Nolan Carroll. So that'll be a really interesting game within the game to keep an eye on. Uh, looking around at the rest of this offense, you know, Tony Romo has been an interesting watch thus far this year. Obviously, the injury shows up at some point with some of these vertical throws. You can see that the ball just doesn't always come out as well as it has in years past with him, but he's still operating that offense at a really high level. I think it was Ed Werder that tweeted out earlier this week the, in, the, uh, the stats that he's put up since that injury, the latest back injury. You have to like the way Romo's performed thus far. Oh, he's been terrific. And, and again, it's always easier for a quarterback to play when the run game is the foundation. Uh, that's just the reality of the world. And, and, you know, we always talk about quarterbacks and, and we throw out terms and phrases and everybody understands what they are. But uh, Romo has become, in some ways, a, a quarterback beholden to his run game. And, he, you know, he does have 22 touchdowns, only six picks this year. Uh, you know, the other night he came back, which he's done a, a lot more times than people may think because he's got a certain public perception. Um, the interesting thing to me about, besides the run game, is how the Eagles will play Des Bryant. Uh, normally, the Eagles don't travel their corners, normally. Uh, we know that Bradley Fletcher has struggled at times in man coverage. Uh, will the Eagles, you know, let Fletcher play a man-to-man? -man? Will they definitely give him help over the top, which, of course, changes sort of the balance of your defense. So I think, and Des Bryant now lines up all over the formation. He lines up in the slot, in the inside slot, in three-by-one sets. He can be the single receiver uh, in three-by-one sets to, to the boundary, and, and that's tough to defend. So I'll be interested to see how they choose to defend Des Bryant. Do you feel like they've lined him up in the slot more often this year than they have in years past? Because that was one thing I think I've noticed watching them, especially recently over the last month or so. I feel like he's getting a little bit more looks inside than we've seen recently. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not charting that, but right. I know for sure he's in the slot. 
more than you you know he was let's say a couple of years ago right. uh, and I think you know he can be effective anywhere he's so talented and you know the one thing when you watch the Cowboys the the Eagles play some cover three as we know they play a lot of single high the Cowboys have some really interesting concepts to attack cover three they actually had a great touchdown this week Bryant's first touchdown this week the 31 yarder was a great cover three beater it was a play that required a lot of time in the pocket and Romo actually moved but it was a great cover three beater in terms of the route combination yeah no question I know exactly the player talking about it's a really good point It'll be really interesting, too. You talked about you know giving safety help over the top to a corner like Fletcher if he's manned up against Bryant. Uh, but Dallas, they really kind of dictate you being able to not being able to play with two high safeties because of the way they run. Yep. So just yep. off- offensively, it's, they present a lot of different challenges. It'll be a big week for the Eagles' D. Yeah, that's why just to wrap up this point is I, I wonder if the Cowboys may be a little more proactive on first down with the pass game at a base personnel because more than likely they're going to get a look defensively where a the safety, a safety or both are, are involved in the run game because quarters, as we know, which the Eagles play, safeties have a run responsibility first. Uh, cover three, obviously you get the single high safety. The Eagles play that. That gets the, the eighth uh, player in the box, the, the uh, safety. So I just wonder if, if the uh, Cowboys may feel they want to be a little more aggressive with the pass game on first down. That's interesting because they're typically a, a run first team on first down. I know that was the, one of the big stats that they were at. Yep. They were running for more yards on first down than any team in the league had total rushing yards early in the year. Right, and and the other factor there, and this is why there's so many great elements. It's, it's you know it's such a chess match game. Every game is, but this game just has more importance, obviously. Uh, but you know the feeling could also be, hey, if we can go out ahead here, you know, then we put some pressure on Sanchez, and Sanchez has never shown himself to be a come from behind type quarterback. So there's all kinds of things at work here. All right, Greg, before I let you go, it's a big rivalry week in, uh, in college football. Any games you're excited to watch this weekend? I'm uh, excited to watch Auburn and Alabama. Um, what are the other games? You got uh, uh, the, one that, uh, the one that kind of interests me, and just, you know, just from watching the game, and, you, you know, I've seen Florida State play a few times. You've seen them as well. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm interested to see Florida's defense going up against Jameis Winston and that Florida State offense. I wouldn't be surprised if Florida went in there and beat the Seminoles at home because that'll that'll be one of those interesting games. Florida doesn't have a ton to play for. Muschamp's already on his way out. Uh, Florida State, look, I mean, they've had their issues obviously early in games, and they've had to come back and climb out of holes. But this is going to be a talented team coming in. Uh, this isn't going to be, uh, you know, NC State or Wake Forest that they're going against. This is going to be a, a quality SEC defense coming in and play, playing Jameis Winston at home. That'll be one of the games I'm interested to watch. Yeah, and Muschamp, you know, obviously being a D- defensive guy uh it'll be interesting to see how he he chooses to defend this this offense because as you and i have discussed it's not a difficult offense to defend you know tactically conceptually uh they've got a lot of talent obviously but it's not difficult to defend tactically yeah no question then you got the egg ball with uh with Ole miss and mississippi state with uh Dak Prescott and Bo Wallace. The uh, yeah, I'd like to see a little more Prescott. I haven't seen as much of him as I would like, and you know, obviously he's being talked about a lot. I don't know whether he's going to come out or not. Um, you know, I I don't really have a feel. Uh, have you seen a good amount of him? I've seen a couple games. You know, I, I think he's got some talent. He's definitely a better thrower than some of the other. Uh, I don't want to say Tim Tebow-like prospects, but because uh, he was a guy that people were comparing him to, obviously coming out of that Dan Mullen scheme. Um, but he, he definitely throws it better than Tebow did, but there's a lot of work there. I think he's still kind of a work in progress. Uh, but Bo Wallace, I, I don't know how, you know, I don't know. I don't think he's a very 
skilled passer at this point. I don't know if he's going to be too high on prospect lists uh, this spring. Yeah, and, and then, you know, until I really start looking at these guys. But you get a feel on TV. I mean, that's the thing. You definitely get a feel. I just haven't seen Prescott enough. But uh, that game is Friday, I believe, which I'll probably be working some. So I don't know how much I'll get to see of that one. All right, Greg, I think that'll do it. Thanks again for joining us over the phone this week on the short week. I'll see you in the, in the, uh, right here in the, uh, in the studio on Thursday afternoon. All right, fan, look forward to it. Thanks. All right, thanks, Greg. Joining us now on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, one of my absolute favorite guys in the business. You can find his work on DraftInsider.net and, of course, right here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com throughout the spring leading up to the NFL draft, the one and only Tony Pauline. Tony, what's happening, man? Getting busy, uh, watching lots of film, getting ready for the uh, Thanksgiving holiday, and, and watch the Eagles play on Thanksgiving. That should be a lot of fun. Yeah, there we go. It's uh, you know better than the uh, the other team with your rooting interest, huh? <laughs> I don't watch them anymore, so uh, <laughs> I guess. But they, you know, the worse they do, the better it is for me. Yeah, the more in demand I am. That's a good point. All right. Well, first things first. I wanted to touch on something you put out there in your risers and sliders list earlier this week on your site. You talked about Jalen Strong, the Philly native. He's one of the more talked about wide receiver prospects in this in the in college football right now. And the piece you said some scouts are starting to have some issues with him. You care to expand on that a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, I don't think that they're starting to have some issues. I think there's been issues all along. I think what's happened is is you know Jalen Strong. You watch him throughout the campaign. He's having a terrific year, and he makes a lot of highlight reel uh, sorts of acrobatic receptions that you know are, are on ESPN or on the highlight news, and, and everyone talks about. But when you teams look at him from a pro prospect point of view, he's not really big. He's not really fast. He's not he's not really quick. So they are concerned about his ability to separate at the next level. I saw this when I watched the 2000 when I rewatched the 2013 film and I had him I said maybe third fourth round NFL scouts are saying if he comes out and he's going to come out from what I hear they're grading him right now as a third rounder. Now what will happen is he's got to, he'll go through the pre-draft process if he happens to run much faster than scouts expect, much faster being say under 445 at the combine or a pro day workout. And the Arizona State, uh, where they work out, it's a very fast uh, track. There's a lot of fast times coming out of there. He obviously will move up. But there's concerns about his, his quickness, his speed, his ability to separate at the next level. And scouts don't see any great physical skill uh, from his game from an athletic point of view. Very good receiver, but a very average athlete. And those types of guys, especially at the receiver position, tend to slide uh, much later than people originally predict. It'll be really interesting because a year ago you had a guy, Kelvin Benjamin, who ran, I think, what was in the four seven range, I think, down at, out in Indianapolis at the combine, and then he still went late first round. Are there what are the what are the differences you see between Strong and Benjamin? Uh, number one, Kelvin Benjamin was what six foot five, two hundred thirty pounds. Strong is not that big. I mean, Benjamin was a guy who was sort of an an undersized tight end playing the receiver position, and you know he created uh, all those mismatches. You're not going to have any safeties or any cornerbacks who can uh, match up against them. Uh, Strong doesn't have near that size. Uh, and while he you know, may create some mismatches on the college level, not going to be so apparent in the NFL. All right, well, in the piece, you said that scouts have referred to Utah receiver Dre Anderson, another Pac-12 guy, a recent senior bowl confirmed attendee. I've yet to watch Anderson, but you said in the piece that some people think Anderson's a better prospect than Strong in the same conference. What do you think about Dre Anderson? What are scouts saying about this guy? You know, I really liked Ray Anderson coming off the 2013 film. He, got, he had a slow start to the year. He had a minor knee injury. Uh, it's not as bad as people thought. But when I watched Ray Anderson, what I saw was 
sort of a lesser version of Paul Richardson, the second-round receiver who I believe went to the Seattle Seahawks out of Colorado. I mean, he's a guy who can stretch the field. He's a vertical receiver, plays much faster than his estimated time of 4-5-0, effortlessly makes the downfield reception. You know, he's not as strong in, underneath, in the underneath coverage compared to, uh, to Jalen Strong, but he's much better down the field. And he's a guy who you know, is a game-breaker, and he's shown it throughout his career. Also a very good receiver as well. All right, uh, Anderson's teammate at Utah, Tony, I wanted to ask you about this guy. Last year they had a big cornerback down in Mobile, and Keith McGill, he was 6'3", 220 pounds, something of that effect. This year they've got another big corner by the name of Eric Rowe. He's not as big as McGill. He's somewhere in that 6'1", you know, 205-pound range. But I think he's more. He's definitely more of a natural at cornerback than McGill was. What are scouts saying about this kid? Yeah, absolutely. And a guy who, you know, sort of like McGill, played some safety and then moved over to cornerback. Now, there are some people who think that Rowe's going to be pushed back inside to the safety position. I'm hearing no way. Scouts do not like his lateral movement skills. They think he's a very good bump-and-run cover corner who can also play some zone. They like his upside. They obviously like his size and his ball skills. So you're looking at a guy uh, in Rowe that if he, has, he does well at the senior ball, which he's going to, uh, assuming he participates, does well in, in uh, pre-draft uh, workouts, you're looking at a guy who can fit into that you know, maybe late second, third round area if he continues to pro- progress. Uh, had a bit of an issue, I believe, as a uh, – as a sophomore, didn't uh, have rebounded well. Scouts like his play now. They love his upside, and they basically think that you know he's a cornerback. He's got no other position, and you know you want those big cornerbacks today in the NFL. All right, well, staying out west, Brett Hundley made some news this week, and he went on the Jim Rome show after UCLA's huge win over UCLA last weekend. He said that it's probably his last game against the Trojans. Obviously, he's a redshirt junior. He can come out and declare, or he could go back for another year at UCLA. He cited, you know, he said he's got his degree. He's done what he can do there. A lot of the things that prospects usually say when they're prepared to declare for the draft. From what you're hearing from scouts, is this the right move? You know, earlier in the year, it, it depends on what your definition of the right move is. Uh, to his credit, he's starting to turn it on, and he's starting to look very good at a critical time, the end of the season. Uh, most scouts you talk to, you know, people have said Brett Hundley top 15. That's a bunch of hogwash. I mean, at the earliest, he's a second-round pick. A lot of people have him pegged, uh, you know, in the third-round area prior to the past two weeks when he's played very well. So you've got to see what happens. I don't think he's a first-round pick as of right now. Uh, you have to see what happens in the bowl in the postseason. Uh, as we've talked about previous, I mean, he is a guy who is going to get a, or is expected to get a senior bowl invite because of the fact, like you said, he's on pace to get his degree. He's basically finished. Uh, he hasn't finished his eligibility, but he can leave early. He's going to have the college degree at hand, and we've seen that the past couple of years at the senior bowl. I, I think that a guy like Humley, if he really wants to make a big move up draft boards, is someone, if he gets the opportunity to play in a senior bowl, should go there and show what he's, uh, you know, show what he's got. Because it is a quarterback from the game, and you go back through the history, the Phillip Rivers, the Carson Palmers, you know, those types of people have went to the senior bowl at the quarterback position, Donovan McNabb, another one, and just blew everybody away and moved up draft boards. Uh, right now, you're looking at second, third round area, depending on, you know, which scout you talk to. I think there's room for upward mobility on draft boards with, uh, with Humley. 
Very interesting. Well, Tony, a couple weeks ago, you talked about Miami, Ohio cornerback Senquez Rollins and how he was kind of a surprise invite to the Senior Bowl. He confirmed a few days later he'll be down in Mobile in January. I got to watch this kid a little bit, and I could see why scouts want to take a look at him further because, honestly, you know, he was a four-year point guard for the basketball team there in Miami, Ohio for the Red Hawks. Athleticism is absolutely translating. Uh, he's a big, fluid, aggressive kid. You saw one of those toolsy prospects a year ago, former basketball player turned college corner uh, Dimitri Goodson out of Baylor I think that Rollins is a better prospect at this point what are, what are scouts saying about this kid what are, what's his ceiling yeah right now you're looking as far as draft is concerned probably a later round pick unless he goes to the senior ball and blows people away like you said I mean, I mean his, his transition from the basketball court to the football field the cornerback position has been seamless He's made a lot of plays. He's shown himself to be a playmaker. Obviously, the technique, some of the nuances of the position, he still has to learn. But you're right now you're looking at a guy who's more than likely going to be a later-round pick, a guy who's going to come and maybe be, be your dime back, a developmental prospect, uh, worst-case scenario, I think, on a practice squad. But the upside is unlimited. As you stated, he's a tremendous athlete, was on the basketball court, uh, he's, got to, he's got a lot to learn as far as the cornerback uh, position is concerned, but he's really off to a great start. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting guy like him. I brought up Dimitri Goodson for the reason that, you know, I, I'm not, I haven't been following him entirely closely, but just from what I've seen from afar, I think he's kind of bounced around from team to team, from practice squad to practice squad. I'm just, I'll be interested to see where a guy like Rollins, who may have a little bit more athletic upside than Goodson, who, you know, given, you know, he was a good athlete as well, it'll be interesting to see what Rollins' situation is a year from now. And, and Goodson had a, a little bit of a larger body of work coming into the league. Uh, compared to the Miami of Ohio cornerback. So, uh, like I said, I, I mean, he's a guy who's showing a lot of good things now, but as most scouts feel, and as anyone who watched him would, would see, you know, his, his best football is ahead of him. Just a matter of getting him in the right position, getting him in the right situation, the right scheme, and coaching him correctly. Tony, there's an offensive lineman out of Pitt this year. He's another senior bowl invitee. That's T.J. Clemmings. He's the right tackle for the Panthers, former big-time high school recruit out of Jersey. He went to Pitt as a defensive end but switched over to the O-line a couple years ago. I think he's really starting to come into his own. What's his stock look like right now in scout size? Yeah, right around the third-round area, maybe the second round. I, I, I would disagree with him in the sense that he's starting to come into his own. He played well last year. I mean, he was a guy who was a highly-rated prospect for a couple of reasons. He's a very athletic uh, offensive lineman. Plays, as you said, right tackle for the Pitt Panthers. But he, you watch him, he's got the footwork and the mobility to maybe shift over to the left side at tackle if he stays at tackle. He's a little bit shorter than most people want in their tackles. Barely uh, touches the tape at 6'4". I think a lot of people, including myself, are going to project him as a zone-blocking guard. He's a good combination of strength, power, mobility, agility, the ability to hold the point on the line of scrimmage, get out in the second level and block in motion. Those guys are invaluable. Right now I say third round, potentially second round area. If he, go, if he continues to, to play well, everything pans out as far as the off the field and the medicals are concerned uh, during the combine and, of course, shows well during the senior bowl. Last question for you, Tony. And our friend Bo Wolf, I promise, he's not sitting here with a gun to my head forcing me to ask you this question. Kevin Johnson, the corner from Wake Forest, it was announced this week he's going to the Senior Bowl. Big, lanky kid, six foot, 185 pounds. What are scouts saying about this guy? And Bo wants to know, is he a better prospect in your mind than Shaq Richardson? <laughs> well, you know, I know this, that if Riley Skinner were throwing passes against, uh, against either of those guys, they'd be picking them off left and right. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I lost my – 
he was highly rated coming into the season. There's no and and he's a very good corner. He's got good ball skills. When I watch him on film, I see some inconsistency in his game. I don't think he deserved the first round grade that a lot of scouts uh, gave him entering into the year. He's got the size. He's got the speed. Uh, he's quicker than Shaq, uh, Shaq Richardson was because Richardson had the uh, had the size, and then he ran incredibly well at the combine. But he doesn't really he didn't really play to that speed. Uh, he has the ability, I think, to develop into a starter at the next level, but he's got to kind of put it all together on an every down basis. So is that right? Some some scouts had him, you know, as a first round grade. Is that 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 high of a uh, prospect going in? He, yeah, he was uh, entering the year. He was a top, uh, I believe, a top twenty five senior prospect. Wow. And and the, I believe, without the, off the top of my head, he was the number one senior cornerback entering the season. All right, before we let you go, Tony, give me some juice here before we finish up. What's something that's not being reported right now that you can share with us? I want some Tony Pauline breaking news right now to end the show. Yeah, well, we've talked about in the past about the running back position and how there's so many underclassmen, you know, Gurley, the, the rest of them, uh, they're gonna really get, Mike Davis of South Carolina, are really going to improve that uh, position. It looks like add another, another one to the fire is Javarius Buck Allen of USC, I'm told, will enter the draft. He's having a sensational year. He's a very good back, probably a second-day, uh, third-round type of guy, maybe late second-round type, uh, type of player. Uh, I'm heard, I'm heard he's, he's all in uh, for uh, the 2015 draft. So, you know, if you're a team that needs a running back, either a feature back or potentially a number two, you're going to have your, your pick of the litter uh, come next April because that position is going to be loaded. Tony, you're the man. I appreciate you taking the time to join us this week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Have a great Thanksgiving with your family. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. All right, so that'll do it for this week. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks so much to Greg Cosell and Tony Pauline for joining me on the short week here at the NovaCare Complex as we prepare for Thursday's game against the Dallas Cowboys. Thanks to all of you out there that are listening to the show and keep, you know, keep giving us such great feedback on Twitter. Please keep that coming. We'll keep making the show better and better each week. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.